Welcome back to Musar for uh, the Lapid Nation and Sar Shalom. I'm Batya Gage, and I really am just so excited that you've joined us today. If this is your first time, we welcome you. And if you're a regular, we're glad to have you back. And I know some of you will be watching it later today. And uh, we welcome you as well. Um, I hope you are having a great and wonderful day where you are. I went out yesterday in my yard. And um, I have this one particular bush that's the first to put on blooms in the spring. And I just couldn't wait. So I went out yesterday. And sure enough, it's got three or four blooms. So I'm just feeling like spring is on the way. I'm ready to dig in some dirt and do some spring things. Even though I, I do know that it's, you know, it's probably going to get cold again before spring officially arrives. But, um, you know, here in Texas, we're already beginning to have some signs of perhaps having an early spring this year. So I'm pretty excited about all of that. And, you know, it's pretty timely because in a little bit over a week, we're going to be celebrating a minor holiday that we have been teaching the kids about at Sar Shalom. And that is the holiday of Tuba Shavat. Now, if you've never heard of the holiday of Tuba Shavat, it is the new year for trees. Now, what in the world does that mean? In Israel, particularly, it's the time of year when most of the winter rains have stopped and the trees are have stopped um, hibernating, I guess you'd say, and they're beginning to, things are beginning to happen inside the tree, and they're getting ready to start growing, putting on leaves, blossoms, and we can, I, I can already see that from my bush out there. So it's, it's really a, a great time of year. It's often celebrated by eating perhaps fruits you've never eaten before, or uh, eating fruits from particularly that are uh, popular in Israel, such as pomegranates, dates, figs, and those kinds of th grapes, grapes especially. And, you know, it may not feel like spring where you are, even though here in Texas we're beginning to see some of those signs, but, but, but just the fact that it is the holiday of Tu Shavat gives us the hope that winter is about done and we are ready to enter into that spring season. So I hope it I hope you're you know at least enjoying some spring like weather where you are. So if you're new, uh Musar is uh very briefly, we have a whole little video on Per, you know, in more in depth, but Musar in a sentence is uh, the practice of working on and improving your character and your character traits. So, for those of you that are new, that is it in a in a nutshell. And we've been studying about uh, recently about the trait of jealousy. So let's just do a little review <clears throat> of our trait of jealousy and what we learned at, before we go on to our one for this week. Last week, we finished that study on jealousy, and we learned a few things. <clears throat> jealousy can cause us to sin in many different ways. It can lead to uh, stealing. It can lead to other terrible things. <clears throat> it also inhibits gratitude. Uh, they're almost polar opposites. If you're if you're being jealous, you you don't have gratitude. And on the other way around gratitude will inhibit jealousy. So if you're having trouble with jealousy, increase your gratitude. We learned jealousy is irrational. Uh, no matter how much we have, uh, we look to our neighbor 
who seems perhaps to have more. And in, we say to Hashem, why didn't you give me what my neighbor has? And so it's, it's basically irrational. <clears throat> if we're jealous, <clears throat> excuse me, got some spring things in my throat. If we are jealous, we're not trusting Hashem for what we have and what we need. We learned that life is a package deal that Hashem is designed just for you. It's got benefits. It's got challenges. It's got uh, things that you struggle with and blessings. And when we're jealous of someone else, we want their benefits, but we don't necessarily want their challenges. But we have to remember it's a package deal. And when we're jealous, we're, we're kind of telling Hashem, I don't like this package deal that you've g- given me. Um, and so it's, it's basically just a complaint against Him. We failed to remember the one thing that we need to remember in every situation, whatever Hashem does, He does for the good and for our good. In chapter 2, we learned that in addition to being jealous of people's stuff, we can also be jealous in other ways. And we learned about a phrase called kinat sofrim. Now, kinat sofrim is a kind of jealousy that it might be okay to have. And this is the jealousy when we're jealous of a great scholar or someone who's very scholarly, and we want to uh, increase our own level of study, perhaps, Torah study. And that is a pure kinat sofrim. That's a good jealousy. And uh, we looked at how that can help us improve. But this is one of the areas where we really, again, have to check our motives to see if we have that ordinary, sinful, we called it bone-rotting kind of jealousy, or if it really is kinat sofrim. If we're ever wishing that someone else would fail a little bit or not do as good uh, so that we would look better, then certainly that's not kinat sofrim. And and we also, too, learn that jealousy often originates because we feel inferior to someone, because we see that someone has more um, or they can do something better. But kinat sofrim does not make us inferior, does not make us feel inferior. The only thing that it really makes us feel is a little bit of distress that we are not serving Hashem the very best that we could with the package deal, the abilities that He's given us. And one way to overcome jealousy Um, We talked about gratitude, but another way is to stop comparing ourselves. Um, We, if we have to compare ourselves, there are many, many people in the world who have much less than we do. Compare yourself to one of them, and then that will increase your gratitude. Another way to uh, overcome jealousy is to recognize our own value and our own strengths and our own abilities and focus on our relationship with Hashem instead of everybody else's. <clears throat> we learned, um, especially in Kinot Sofrim, to emulate, not imitate. Um, if you see someone who seems to be very good at Hebrew or they're very good at their Torah study and you watch what they do, they, they study at this certain time of the day, they use this particular book, they sit at a certain kind of table with a certain kind of lamp and you try to do everything they do, it may not work for you or your situation. So you want to look at what they're doing that might be useful for you and then emulate their good habits and Maybe apply them to your life, but don't try to imitate everything they do. 
because it just might not fit your situation. In chapter three, we learned that we can actually cause someone else to be jealous. Um, if we flaunt what we have, we brag about what we can do, um, then we can actually cause someone else to be jealous. And we just need to keep that in mind. Um, another thing that we can do to keep others from becoming jealous of us is to use our benefits, whether it's material benefits or abilities, to help them, to help someone else. And if we're helping them, then they would have less of an opportunity to feel jealous because they know that if we have benefits, it helps them as well. And and the more we succeed, the better off they are, so they'll want us to succeed. And finally, that led us to our last point that we learned, which is that we, as especially as Jews, are all interconnected. We're all part of one body, and it would be silly and irrational for the hand to say to the foot, "I'm so jealous of you because you get to walk around and do things I don't," or what you know, whatever. So our friends' joy and our friends' success should be our joy and our success. Okay, that was our lesson <clears throat> last week on jealousy. Today we enter. A topic that um, I find extremely uh, challenging, extremely hard to study about, extremely hard um, to be tested in this area, and maybe you do too. But it's a very important topic, and we're going to spend a few weeks on it. Um, and that is the topic of anger. Um, and then in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the opposite side of anger, which is patience, tolerance, and that kind of thing. So um, normally we try to cover a couple of chapters. And as I began to study and prepare for this lesson, I just, I didn't want to rush through it. And I was going to have to, to cut and make it fit. And I didn't want to do that. So um, we're only going to focus on chapter one today. <clears throat> and even though that will probably leave us at the end of our lesson today in a little bit of a downer position because it, we're going to end before we find out what do we do about anger. So first of all, we're going to look at the um, ramifications of anger and how serious it is. Our sages teach in uh, Shabbos, Shabbos 105b, one who tears his garments in anger, breaks his utensils in anger, or scatters his money in anger, he should be in your eyes as one who worships idols. Um, why do the sages compare anger to idolatry? Now, we, do, we know, we can see where anger could lead from one sin to another, but we learned that same thing about jealousy. So why is anger so much worse? So let's begin to look at this. When we get angry... We have this overpowering emotion that causes us to break things, throw things, say things. We're really out of control at that point. And we say things that we would never do. We do things that we would never do because we are under the power of this emotion called anger. The anger becomes our master, like an idol. And whatever that anger tells us to do in that moment, we do it. And at that moment, we have lost all control to stand against the Yetzer Hara. And so this is one way in which the sages say that uh, anger, becoming angry, is like idolatry. 
Rambam supports that position in Hilchot Adeos 2.3. He says about anger, one who becomes angry is akin to one who serves idols. The Tanya says, anger is like idolatry because at the time we are angry, our amuna departs. If we could stop again and remember that same phrase we just said, everything Hashem does is for the good and for our good, then we really have no reason to be angry. Perhaps he's brought us to this situation um, for a test, a purpose, uh, to improve our character, whatever, but uh, anger is, is would not be even appropriate. I, I was... As I was preparing for this lesson, I actually heard a tragic story here in our own area. It, on, it was a news article. Uh, a woman is going up one of the freeways here in the city, and a person begins to uh, come over in her lane. So she taps on her horn just to let him know she's there. and uh, But he continues on over into her lane. She swerves to another lane, and... Uh, and goes on thinking everything's okay, but then he pulls up next to her car, pulls out a gun, and uh, fires into her car at random, and doesn't hit her, but hits her young daughter in the back seat. Now, hopefully that's not what he intended to happen, but in that moment, we lose all control. And I think especially if you're driving in the city, I don't know how many of you would agree, driving and traffic is just a breeding ground for for anger and angry expressions. The Zohar describes this situation as idolatry because at that moment, and imagine that man in that car, the angered person turns himself into kind of a a deity of sorts, uh, seeing himself as the only one that really matters. Where he wanted to go, what he wanted to do, what lane he wanted to be in, he was the only one that mattered. There was no one else should be on the road. And we want everyone else to submit to our will. And so we kind of raise ourselves up to the level of a deity. And when a when a person becomes that enraged, he sees himself as the center of the universe, at the least the center of his universe. And and there should be no one else, including Hashem, to get in his way. In Netarim 22b, the Chazal state, whoever becomes angry, even the divine presence is not significant to him. So Hashem could be sitting right there yelling at him, what are you doing? And he wouldn't care because that overpowering emotion of anger just takes over. Now, Rambam sets a very high standard for us in this area. In Hilchot Deos 2.3, he says that although we are meant to embrace the golden path. Now, what does he mean by the golden path? If you've been in Musar very long, and in fact, our logo for this class is a balance scale. And we've talked many times about all of our character traits should not be extremely lacking or extremely abundant, but should be in balance. But he says this is one trait where we're not looking for a balance. We, we used to say, I used to work for the highway department, and we used to have a saying, uh, on our safety, because uh, we worked on the highway a lot, our our employees did, and we would say, how many um, accidents is it acceptable? Well, the answer is zero. 
Um, so we might work, we might have 10 accidents this year and next year, maybe we're shooting for nine, but nine is not acceptable. So what Rambaman is saying is that there is no anger that is acceptable. He goes on to say in this passage, um, we should distance ourselves from being angry, even in situations in which anger might be warranted. So he, Bram Bam is basically saying there is no situation that justifies anger. Now, that's a pretty high standard. Um, anger poses such an overwhelming danger, like we talked about it at uh, the highway department. There is He considers that there's just nothing that justifies it. You know, he... It can be compared to a, a blazing fire, one that burns us and it burns everyone around us. And the Sheila Hakodesh, a teacher back in the 1500s, teaches us that it is even worse to get angry on Shabbat. And uh, for the very reason that Torah prohibits kindling a fire on Shabbat. And if anger is like kindling a fire, then certainly we should have an extra measure of caution to not get angry about anything on Shabbat. But I believe that we can, with the help of Hashem, and we can conquer this Midah. It, it can be hard. It can be very hard. But we can do it. And I think our first step that we have to do if we're going to conquer anger is to really realize the harm and danger that it, it really can do. A per, we're capable of hurting someone physically, like this man did in the car. We're uh, capable of hurting people emotionally, monetarily, in so many ways in that moment of rage. Um, and unfortunately, who are the people, not in this case in the driver, but unfortunately, many times, the uh, people that bear the brunt of our anger are often those that are closest to us that we love the most and that would be our family you know we're at home the doors are shut the pro the public's not there they're not seeing us so maybe we uh, lose our temper a little bit more maybe we do things we wouldn't do if there was anyone else around um, and we don't even feel embarrassed embarrassed about it because you know there's nobody seeing us well it'll be okay we may even, our book suggests, strike our children in our anger that we would never do if we were out in public. Um, and it gives us the example of a child dropping a very expensive dish and breaking it. Um, do you punish the child by striking the child? Now, would it make a difference if the dish was cheap, a dollar store dish? Would you still feel like striking the child, or perhaps the dish fell but didn't break, would you still feel like striking the child, or was it because the, the dish was expensive? And it, as we begin to ask our question, these questions, we realize that it's not about what the child did necessarily at that moment. It's about venting our anger. And, and so we're no longer disciplining our child or correcting our child, but we're just venting our anger on our child. The Vilna Gaon says, that a person who um, hits his child out of anger and not for the sole purpose of discipline actually violates two prohibitions. And it's just as if he were hitting a friend because he says, um, 
uh, well, uh, I'll read the scripture he quotes there. Devarim 25.3 says, 40 blows and no, no more he shall not add lest he strike him an additional blow. So uh, correcting your child is one thing and then hitting them on top of that is adding blows, he says. And in reality, he, he goes on to say that hitting a child is is worse than even hitting your friend because a child puts so much uh, um, value and weight on what the parent thinks of him. And so when the parent hits the child, it uh, is just such a, a breaking of trust for the parent. And it destroys his own self-worth. And not only are we not at that moment teaching our child anything, but we're in fact doing the opposite. We're teaching our child uh, something negative. We're teaching our child that this is the appropriate way to handle a situation in which someone does something that angers you. So not only are we not teaching them anything good about whatever situation it was, but we're teaching them something actually very negative. And so the best way to teach our children anything that we we learned a few weeks ago is number one is by example. So they're going to watch us to see how we handle anger to see how they should handle anger. So if we do become angry at our child, that would be a moment to wait, to discipline, calm ourselves, um, wait until we're completely under control before we interact with our child at all. Now, most of us, hopefully, never really resort to uh, physically expressing our anger by hitting anyone or uh, shooting anyone or pulling our car into someone else's car. But we wouldn't, we don't hesitate to express our anger with our words. Uh, seems like when the anger comes, the mouth opens and, and the words just fall out. So let's look at some of the ways in which we can sin in anger with our words. So we may become so angry that we begin talking to others about what this person did to us. We put it on Facebook. We tell people at the show. We call somebody up on the phone. We're on our texting. And now we have committed the sin of Lashon Hurrah. Uh, or we go to that person and we speak so harshly to them and so disrespectfully to them with terrible words that now we we no longer honor them. We completely disrespected them. So now we have committed that sin. Or um, we speak to them that way in front of others and now we've humiliated that person in public. And um, this is as if we had spilled his blood. The Gemara tells us better that a person should cast himself into a fiery furnace than shame his fellow in public. Now we've been talking about the high standard that Rambam set for us. And here we just talked about what the Gemara tells about we should just throw ourselves in a fire furnace rather than humiliate someone. But if we think these standards are too high... Let's look at some words from the Messiah Yeshua. We're going to look in Matthew 5.21. Uh, and this is what he had to say. You have heard that it was said, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subjected to judgment. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with a brother will be subjected to judgment. 
So is he now equaling anger to bloodshed? And whoever insults a brother will be brought before the council, and whoever says fool will be sent to a fiery hell. So he sounds like he's pretty much in line with the sages and perhaps even Rambam. Our book compares anger, especially our words, to a gunshot. It only takes a second to fire that gun, but that damage from that gunshot can be permanent, can be forever. And in a state of rage, we can say things that we don't mean, that we would never have said otherwise, words that can permanently damage a relationship, destroy a relationship. If we say hateful words to our spouse, um, our marriage can be permanently changed. Our spouse can be so affected that that marriage can just never be prepared. If in our anger we bring up divorce, then perhaps that spouse can never trust us again. And it's very, very hard to get past that. Rav Avigdor Miller says that a person should never, ever, ever threaten divorce since it undermines the entire foundation of the marriage. So even in anger, that that word should just not be part of the vocabulary. Anger leads to strife. Our sages teach in Sanhedrin 110a, whoever persists in a quarrel violates the scriptural prohibition of he should not be like Korok in his assembly. Now we remember the story of Korok, and he was always stirring up strife amongst the Israelites. Uh, that came from Bamidbar 17. And we should especially strive not to be stirring up strife amongst our spouse or in our families. Um, we need to, overlearn, uh, to overcome that anger. And we learn a word. <clears throat> I'm sure many of you um, know this word. <clears throat> and that's the words Beit Shalom. Beit Shalom means peace in the home. And peace in the home is, is just of critical importance. And we even learned a few weeks ago that where there's no peace between the spouses, the Shekinah cannot dwell. So, and so our anger destroys Beit Shalom. We have a, a, a story in our book this week about cucumbers of all things. And it seems like we can get angry over the silliest things. The husband has offered to do the shopping for his wife. When he returns, his wife notices he forgot the cucumbers. And she asks, where are the cucumbers? And he's like, oh, I forgot to buy the cucumbers. Now, I would push pause at this moment in our story and say, if you have studied with us very long in Musar, and especially our foundation book, Everyday Holiness, Something may come to your mind here about the match and the fuse. Now, either one of these spouses at this point could put some space between the match and the fuse. So will they? Let's push play and see what happens. The wife gets angry and snaps back. I knew I shouldn't have sent you. You always forget things. The husband gets mad back and yells at his wife. Well, you should be thankful for me for even doing the shopping. Thankful, she yells back, even angrier. When are you thankful to me for all the things I do every day? I never get any appreciation. And so on and so on. And now the fire has ignited. 
The wife could have space between um, the match and the fuse by not responding in anger. Uh, or the husband could have by apology, apologizing for his error. But neither was able or willing in that moment to overcome the Yetzirah. They let their anger take over until this tiny issue of a cucumber destroyed their Beit Shalom and developed into this huge blaze. Now, I'm sure none of y'all have ever experienced anything even closely like this, I hope. Okay, another outcome of anger, unfortunately, is that a person may, in his anger, curse another person, even his spouse and his children. Heaven forbid. Words have power, and we don't even have time to get into that. I have a whole teaching I've done in the past a few times about looking through uh, the Bible at stories where people have said something, and it came to pass, and it wasn't something good. So words have great power. Um, in a way, anger is really a form of insanity, at least temporary insanity. We become temporarily insane. We lose control. We have these overwhelming feelings. It causes us to do things, even to those we love, that we would never do otherwise. So we have to be very, very special, uh, especially careful with our words, and especially that we don't curse anyone, because those curses can actually boomerang back on our own heads, heaven forbid. Um, the Hasidim, uh, the Sefer Hasidim says, do not curse any person for many times the curses boomerang completely and affect the person who curses and his children. As we find um, in the story of David cursed Yoav, um, and so it goes on with the story there, but we have to be very careful that we don't speak words and those words boomerang back onto us. Again, anger is a form of insanity. And when we become angry, we can harm ourselves, harm others. The Hagiga 3b says, who is a deranged person? One who goes out alone at night. One who lodges in a cemetery. One who rends his garment for no apparent reason. Someone who gets extremely angry, like our news story, um, might even wish that his friend would die. He would put a curse on his friend and he would... And you know, it's really with just the greatest mercy and kindness that Hashem doesn't cause everything that comes out of our mouth to happen instantly. If it did, perhaps there wouldn't even be people left on earth. We would just, at some point, we'd all be gone. So thank goodness for his mercy that he does not listen to our words at time. Um, we have previously studied... When we're trying to change a Amida, one of our character traits, the very first thing that we have to do is to become aware of when that trait is happening in our lives. And especially true for anger, we need to recognize when we begin to feel the earliest signs of anger boiling up. Um, Whatever that is to you, if it's something in your stomach, your heart beating fast, your face turning, whatever it is, uh, learn to recognize that in your own in your own body. And our book metaphorically gives us uh, tells us to basically in that moment when you feel yourself, um, a lot of the uh, 
people at Sar Shalom have taken on Haventure names. And at this moment, I'm thinking of the Incredible Hulk. And at some point, he gets angry and he changes from uh, um, uh, Bruce Banner, I believe his name is, into this green monster. Um, at that moment, uh, our book tells us, lock yourselves in a prison. Don't go out. Don't make decisions. Don't speak to anyone. Um, don't speak. Just lock yourself into this metaphorical prison until it has subsided, until you're Bruce Banner again. Uh, we've also talked about the match and the fuse. Put some space between that thing that's causing you angry and, and your and your response. Take a walk, uh, whatever you need to do, but um, don't act in that moment. Our book goes on to describe someone who is angry to that level is like a drunk person. Um, Imagine a, a a person who's drunk, their faculties are impaired, they're not able to drive a car, um, should not be allowed to drive a car, their judgment is compromised, everything about their senses are dulled, they're not, they should not be driving. And in the same way, someone who is angry has those same characteristics. Their judgment is impaired, their senses are dulled, they're, they're just... Uh, it's like a person who's drunk. And basically, they are drunk. They are drunk with this emotion, this powerful emotion of anger. Uh, and should not be doing anything in that moment. Maybe just locking himself away in this, in this kind of imagined prison. The sages say in Erevin 65b, In three ways can a person's true character be perceived. With his cup of wine. With his wallet. And with his anger. And the Orchot Zadakim goes on to say that the way a person behaves when, his, when he's angry shows his true character. Uh, that should all give us pause for a moment as we are here working on our character traits. If you imagine at some moment in your past when you have perhaps lost your temper, gotten angry, was that your true character? That's a bit that's a bit disturbing, um, probably for all of us. So whether we put space between the match and the fuse, or we lock ourselves into this uh, imagined prison, we need to find a way to extinguish this raging fire of anger that is just beginning to blaze in us. So can we just stuff that feeling of anger? Is that okay? And um, imagine that you do that. How good is that for your health? Um, it's not good. It's not good for your physical health. It's not good for your emotional health. It takes away your joy. It takes away any good feeling that you would have. And even if we're able to somehow restrain these negative, angry emotions, your wife knows, your husband knows, your children know, they know when to run and hide, even if you haven't said anything. So even anger that's not expressed can be unhealthy for us, and it can still sh destroy Shalom it, even if we're not expressing it outwardly, physically. It's still a raging fire that's going on in us, and it's still a danger to ourselves. And, and so we really need to work to gain control over it. And I hate to um, 
kind of leave us this week not getting to the answers but next week we'll spend a whole week on looking at some of the techniques to to kind of overcome anger now at this point any in any discussion of anger someone will bring up what about righteous anger we've looked at rambam's words it's never okay to get angry so let's read a story Mark, this comes from Mark 11. Then they came to Jerusalem, and Yeshua entered the temple area and began to drive out those who were selling and buying in the temple courts. He turned over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. I would love for y'all to be here in the room with me and for us just to have a great discussion about this. I have struggled with this whole topic this week. And I would love for uh, for y'all that are on our Facebook group to have a discussion of this whole story this week on Facebook. And uh, maybe we'll discuss it some more next week. But first thing I noticed... If you go back and read the story, and I haven't researched the Greek yet or any of that. But first of all, I didn't see the word angry in there. Now, he did some actions that we would interpret as anger, but I'm not seeing that word angry in there. So that might be a clue there. And then I ran across this from the Mishneh Torah. Now, the Mishneh Torah was written by Rambam. And he says this, and this is in chapter 2. One should teach himself not to get angry, even over a matter which uh, which befits anger. If one desires to engender on his children, we read this a few weeks ago, and his household or in the public... Or, if he is the head of a community, even if he desires to get angry at them, so as to bring them back to the right and good way, he should only act angry in their presence, so as to reprove them. But his disposition must remain calm within himself, even as a man imitates one who is angry, when after the time calls forth anger, but in reality he is not angry. Perhaps. After everything we've talked about, anger today and losing control and saying things we don't mean, we I don't believe any of us picture Yeshua losing control of his emotions, even in that moment. I'm pretty sure he was calm. He knew exactly what he was doing, exactly what he was saying, And so this kind of helped me to understand perhaps what was going on in this situation in the temple. So I would love to hear what y'all think uh, in this next week. And maybe we'll look at it again next week. Perhaps he was just pretending to so that he could correct the community. They were doing some things he saw that was not right. He wanted to get them back on the right path. So he pretended to be angry for a moment still being calm within himself to bring them back to the right path. Again, I'd love to hear your thoughts this week. Well, as we end today, again, I hate, it was a challenging, hard topic, and I know it was, and I hate to leave you kind of on a cliffhanger thinking, okay, now what do I do? But I didn't want to rush this week either, and 
if we'd have continued on with chapter two, we'd have had to cut something very important out. So please come back next week. Please come and find some of the answers to what do we do about this anger. So before we leave and, and go our separate ways, let's just do a quick review. We looked at at the beginning how one who gets angry is compared to one who serves idol, uh, idols. Because at that moment, uh, your concern for Hashem, one's concern for Hashem is out the window. We, we create in ourselves almost a kind of a deity where no one else matters but ourselves. Uh, the Yetzahara has completely overtaken and so, you know, we can see the comparison to idolatry. Rambam says that there are not any situations in which it is okay to get angry. Um, a pretty high standard. But after we looked at some of the harm that can be caused by anger, we can see where he's coming from. Uh, we can hurt people physically, like, we, like in the story of the man and the car and the little girl. Uh, we can hurt people emotionally. We can destroy our marriages. We can hurt people monetarily, uh, even and especially and often those closest to us, our family, our children. And even if we never resort to expressing our anger physically, our words can hurt, can cause pain, can destroy relationships, can destroy marriage, can certainly destroy Beit Shalom, can destroy someone's self-esteem. And that we can even go so far as to speak a curse over someone and and uh, and just pray that Hashem has the mercy not to hear those words in that moment. We looked at how anger is really a form of temporary insanity, even compared to a drunk person whose senses are impaired and his judgment is impaired. Everything about him is, is just not in a right position to say anything or make decisions. And, and how in that moment, we should just somehow lock ourselves in a prison, um, even even metaphorically, just to give ourselves chance to get over that powerful powerful emotion of anger, and and find some way to extinguish that fire that has started. And then we we looked at how anger can be damaging to ourselves, physically, emotionally, destroys our joy. So many dangers from anger. Then we finish today with pondering the question, is there such a thing as righteous anger? And what was Yeshua really doing there in the temple? Was he angry? Was he acting in anger to correct a behavior of those in the temple? Wow, what a great lesson we had this week. I hope, I certainly hope you'll come back and continue this lesson with me next week. I I would hope that you would hit like and share on the on the video today so that others can see and and uh, work through some of this with us and I certainly hope that you will come back next week work on your own character traits um, I pray that you do not have any tests this week where you have to work on anger and um, get out today and see if you can find in your own area some sign of spring. And um, I will see you next week. Thank you for joining me today.